What's going on? This is Dirt Bike Channel Podcast. Today I got a special guest in studio. We've got Tyler here from At Enduro Builds. If you uh, if you don't follow him on Instagram, I don't know what you're thinking. You need to go to Instagram right now. Open up your phone, which you probably already have open because you're listening to podcasts, and you need to go to Instagram and go and search for At Enduro underscore Builds. And uh, you'll find Tyler's Instagram page over there. He has done some amazing work over the over the last few years. We've ridden together for a lot of years, um, and uh, he's put he's put out a lot of different cool a lot of cool projects. And recently, he's been doing some uh, builds, some dirt bike builds. He is one of these people that is meticulous with his uh, bike setup. He's a lot more meticulous than I am. I've picked up a few things from him, but I only get, I don't feel like I get, I'm riding so many different bikes a year. I don't put the same type of TLC into them that Tyler does. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been fun. So thanks for coming in the studio. How you doing? Good. Nice to finally be on the podcast. I know it's like this. I mean, we've a- known each other for how long now? And this is the first time I've been on. Yeah. Well, no, in, in, it wasn't that I didn't want you on before. You just wouldn't come yeah, down here. Yeah. You've tried, but I just haven't come. But happy to be here now. Yeah. We actually met each other. I, I guess it would have been, I can't remember. I don't want to say what year it was, but it was, you bought a uh, KTM 3, was it a 350 from me? Yeah. I want to say it was 2016. I bought the 2014 KTM 350 XCF from you. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't love that bike. That was kind of when you were getting back into riding. Yep. Um, and I, yeah, people know my story, but yeah, so that's, uh, that was when we met as many, many years ago. And then we've done a lot of different rides and mostly what has happened is I've just been humbled. Here's what my suggestion is to everybody out there. Um, or my suggestion, go out and find people who are better riders than you and ride with them because it'll improve your riding immensely. And I've had the privilege most of my time i don't ride with a lot of different people you would think that i do but i'm kind of anti well i shouldn't say anti-social i'm an introvert but if you can ride with people who are better than you it's going to be you're going to be better off and i've had the privilege of riding through the years with a lot of people that are better than me um and tyler is one of those people you've been riding since you I were what i don't you know were, if that's fair to say that i'm better than you oh well know. you are i've ridden enough to know <laughs> that you're better than me there's not one maybe s- i have certain strengths that you don't but you have you know certain strengths that i wish i had so yeah well i we're, i'm gonna have to see what one of those strengths are one of these times <laughs> but yeah tyler has been he's been instrumental in just kind of helping me to get into more soft enduro stuff and we haven't done it for a couple of years like our lives have we i've had challenges he's had challenges and things have we've been kind of adjusting to like different phases of our lives but one thing that has always been consistent throughout this process is dirt bikes and um one of the things that I've admired about the way that you do stuff, you never like half-ass anything. We just were over at my shop here um, t- filming a video on the Iron Horse Project, which we'll get into here in a minute. Um, but we were going through, uh, and you were just showing me the things that, you know, oh, pointing at this and pointing at that. And every single bolt of that bike had been touched. And that's one thing. But then the uh, it's the attention to detail down to like um, wiring harnesses and the way that you'll, you know, finish things off. Uh, and like even, you know, waterproof things, things like that. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't realize. And when you start looking at even just Tyler's bikes that he goes out and he rides, there's a lot of things you're doing to the bikes that nobody else, nobody else does like race teams do them, 
but I, it's because you're passionate about things. You're in some ways, you're a little bit OCD oh, on OCD, some of this abso- stuff. Absolutely. But why, so how have you gotten to that point? Like what has, what, cause you were at a, at a certain point, your dad was providing you bikes when you were, you know, five years old, eight years old, and you were riding, you know, trail fifties or trail nineties or whatever it was. And now all these years later, pushing 40, actually you might've just turned 40. I right? just turned 40 less than a month ago. So what has, like, how did you get to that point where it was like, you were just the sniveling kid, like all of us were back in the day, just riding whatever dad put you on to now being so focused on the details and the attention to detail. How did that happen? Well, do you want the whole history? Like <laughs> how far back do you want to go? I mean, naturally I'm kind of a perfectionist and in, in a way you might call it OCD. Um, but Pretty much, I like to. I don't like to do things half-ass, like you said, and I like to do things that are going to prevent problems down the road on my bikes. So I've, you know, ridden for several years now, and I've learned, hey, these things are problems, and I like to fix those problems. So that's kind of where it all comes from. Even little things on. <clears throat> we've been on rides where, say, on some of these KTM, some of these newer KTM bikes, where we've had power valve problems you've gone through and you've figured out different ways on certain models to kind of mitigate some of those risks. And there, it, it's kind of crazy because if you get out in some of these, these environments, like maybe we're deep in some ride in Idaho or something where you're on a hundred mile loop or you're trying to do a hundred mile loop, you never know what's going to happen. And so for the most part, the bikes are pretty bulletproof, but then every once in a while, after you've been out for a hundred hours, hundred, you know, hundreds of hours, you get into these weird situations where little weird stuff happens. You'll get a stick slide through an airbox boot, or you'll get, you know, a radiator get pushed back, and you're you're pinching off, you know, hoses on your, on you know, coolant hoses, and these random little things. Or you might get, you know, a lot of different stuff happen. Even today, we were ta- you were showing me about your um, uh, master links. And you're like, hey, I, I get this safety paint. And I do, and you said, I do this on all my master links. And I'm like, I haven't noticed that on your master links. Maybe you just di- didn't do red color on all of them. Yeah. And so I it, haven't it, noticed. It's, it's something I've started, you know, more recently. I've tried other things. And, and yeah, like you said, it's just about mitigating risk. Because we get back in some places where you don't want problems to happen. And inevitably, things are going to happen. And you can't, you know have a contingency plan for everything or, or prevent everything. But, you know, if I can do something that's going to keep me from getting stuck 60 miles from the truck, you know, I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I love that. So, um, let's talk a little bit about iron horse. Um, because this is a, if, if, if you don't know, if you're listening to this iron horse is a project that Tyler worked on for the last few months. And, uh, it was an idea that he actually brought to me and said, Hey, what if uh, want to team up on something where I do the build and then you buy it from me and give it away as a sweepstakes bike? Um, because what I've done over the last many years is I've given away mostly stock bikes. Some of them have been kind of had some upgrades to them, maybe been soft enduro certified or whatever had with protective parts or different things. But a lot of a lot of the bikes I've given away have been mostly stock bikes. And if you look across, you know, the industry, I, maybe a lot of you guys have seen what. Um, uh, diesel brothers used to do. I don't think they're doing it anymore. They, they kind of would build these amazing trucks and give them away. And he's like, what if Tyler said, what if we did something like that? Cause he's, he does a lot of these builds, but it's hard to find a buyer, right? 
or it's hard to get your money back out of yeah. it. So that's always kind of a, a pinch point for you is is how much money do you throw at something? How much can you do it do for something? Because how much money are you going to lose in the end, right? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of these builds I just do for myself. They're my personal bikes, and I just build them kind of how I want, make them unique for me. But I've wanted to venture out and try some other things. The problem is, is you put all this money into a build, how do I get that money back? You know, uh, you can only recoup so much on these expensive builds. And so, like you were saying, I saw that you were giving away mostly stock bikes, which is awesome, you know, and they're awesome bikes. But then I'd look around at other um, industries where they're giving things away and everything's always like, you know, a super extravagant build. And so that's where I got the idea. Hey, what if we just did a build where we don't really have a price limit? We just go nuts on it and see how it turns out. And luckily, you know, you were willing to go along with it and, um, you know, kind of be the, the checkbook for it. And speaking of checkbook, here's, a, here's, <laughs> here's my checkbook. The one I actually want to write the check in is out in the truck, but yeah. And you trusted me enough, which was, you know, cool to produce a product that was, you know, good enough to have it as one of your giveaway bikes. So, yeah. And it's, it's a cool thing. Uh, we'll see if this, if this works. Um, where we can recoup cost. I, I think we I think we can, or I think I can. You'll get to recoup because the if cost. You, if, if, if you look at the cost, <laughs> you could have purchased two bikes and given away two bikes for the cost of this one bike. Yeah. So. Yeah, on this one. So we'll I'll be writing a twenty five thousand dollar check to you to get this th- to to do get this across the line. But that doesn't even include well, first off, it doesn't include labor, which which we we didn't figure labor into that. We're like, okay, well, this this will be Tyler's project here for the next little bit. Um, but if you even if you figured the retail cost of some of these things, um, it's you can easily you can easily add this up to thirty thousand dollars. There's a spreadsheet. Yeah, so, so just on retail cost, it's probably pushing thirty thousand. Yeah, you sent. In fact, I have the you, I have a Excel spreadsheet. I'm pulling up here in front of me. And I, I didn't keep track of hours and, you know, I don't really care about that because I want to, you were giving me an opportunity and I wanted to help you out. And, you know, there's an awesome bike now that people can go out and win. And I'm super pumped for whoever wins this. Uh, but there has to be at least $5,000 worth of labor in that. Well, it depends on what you'd call you, how much you would charge for your time. If I just look at you broken this down into OEM parts and then aftermarket parts, um, just OEM parts, there are 40, at least 40 line items here of OEM parts that had to be yeah. upgraded. And, and the OEM parts, most of those are involved with the carb conversion. So we converted this bike from a TPI to a carb. So it started out as a 2023 Gas Gas 300 EXC. EX, EX, sorry, EX 300. And uh, that is a TPI bike. And the whole goal or objective of this bike was to make it as unique as possible. We wanted, you know, to make it not necessarily expensive, but just you as unique of a bike as possible. And to do that, we decided to convert it from a TPI to a carb because there isn't a carb EX 300, you know, gas gas out there. So it's really unique in that sense. Um, we did lots of other things to it to make it a unique bike, but with that comes a lot of expense and it adds up quickly. Yeah. I mean, if you like, here's just, I'll just kind of this, this will be boring podcast stuff here, but this is perfect for radio. 
Here's like OEM parts that are mainly involved with just switching over from a TPI bike to a to a carbureted bike. Cylinder kit, flywheel rotor, ignition cover, pulse generator, stator, voltage regulator, spark plug cap, ignition coil, CDI box harness, wiring harness, because the entire wiring, wiring harness has to change. The entire electrical battery, system. Battery box, battery support, air boot, air boot clamp, fuel petcock, petcock screws, petcock O-ring, fuel hose, fuel hose clamps, intake flange, intake flange clamp, intake flange gasket, water, well, the water pump cover. Would that have to change? I'm not sure. Nope. CDI box had to change. So you you can kind of start to get, oh, cylinder, cylinder base, cylinder cover, gasket kit, um, carb hose bracket. Uh, these are, and then, oh, well, and then you've got a carburetor on that. Oh, and then you have to have a different fuel tank because it's not going it, to, your fuel tank isn't going to work. There are so many things. It's almost a $2,000 change just to go from TPI back to a carburetor and we didn't do that because carburetor the tpi sucked it was like let's make the most unique bike possible let's make something that never existed before like you were saying that bike gas gas never had a, a carbureted yeah. um a carbureted bike it, it under the ktm it was, ownership it was car yeah carbureted before ktm purchased it and started producing bikes of 2021 um but that was under you know the, the old gas gas which wasn't counterbalanced and was basically like a pre twenty sixteen KTM, yeah. In a way, but yeah. So then, even aftermarket parts, the fuel tanks, the Electron Billitron carburetor, Enduro wheel set, SXX slide plate or skid plate, the TSP head. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I'm not going to run through it because now on aftermarket parts, you go from about line item fifty down to there's over seventy different aftermarket parts <laughs> that you listed on this. Let me say that again, seven zero. There's I, I basically went through each part of the bike and looked at it and said, hey, is there not necessarily a better part, but is there something that I can use that will enhance the performance or make the bike more unique or, you know, make the bike look better? So uh, there, there wasn't a bolt on the bike really that was untouched. Maybe the, you know, the engine internals, but that's about it. But every, every, every bolt, you did touch else. every bolt, even down to the frame. So you said that you got it, it, you know, it's got the red frame and within a few hours, you know, 12 hours, you'd have the entire thing stripped down to the, down to the bare bones, right? Yep. Stripped it down to the frame, um, took the frame in, they stripped it down to raw steel and then, uh, treated it with some sort of chemical that gave it a nice, beautiful, rustic brown color. You can still see the heat welds on the frame, um, just turned out amazing. Um, so super happy with that. That was another. So, so one objective was to make it as unique as possible. The other objective is I, I tagged this project iron horse. I like to give all my, my builds a name. This was project iron horse. And as part of that, the reason I gave it that name is I wanted to build a rustic feeling looking bike. Um, but have it still look like a modern dirt bike. I didn't want it to be cheesy, you know. There's, you, I could have gone overboard on it, but I, I think it turned out pretty well. It has a rustic feel, you know. Um, it's got kind of uh, some leather and wax canvas and browns and and grays and stuff. And so um, that was that was an objective, and I I think that it turned out pretty good. Yeah, there. I loved even as we were going over different things. It's funny because I had I've had the bike in my possession for a week and a half or two weeks or something, um, 
and I've been focused on some other projects that I was working on, but I've had the bike in the shop and I've looked at it many, many times, but even just you going over it, there were several things that were way over my head, you know, even down to like, you know, we were talking about the foot peg pins that you decided to go with, you know, and just various things. Where did you even come up with the foot peg pin idea? Um, <laughs> cause those, those were, exp- those were expensive. Some parts I just looked and I was like, Hey, those are the most expensive foot peg pins. They gotta be good. Let's go with them. <laughs> no, it, it, lots of, lots of these parts on this bike aren't necessary. And I'll even admit that they're awesome parts, you know, and th- they're, they're parts that serve a purpose and can, you know, enhance the performance or are different than stock, but they're not necessary. Um, and a lot of people that have seen this bike have commented like, oh, the, the bike looks too pretty to go ride, you know? And I've always said, the only way to ruin a dirt bike is to not ride it. So if this was my bike, I'd be taking it out and, you know, riding soft enduro with it, beating it up. Everything on it, it might look pretty, but everything on it is pretty solid. Like, I used the best of the best in... Uh, you know guards and and protection parts so it's ready to go and and another thing i wanted to do was build a bike that could do pretty much everything this isn't like a hard enduro specific bike this is a bike with the suspension and the power the way it's set up you can do just about anything yeah let's talk about suspension here in just a second but the only thing on the bike that i would feel bad about well, the reason why I'm not riding it is I want it to be pristine. I want the I want the new owner to get this bike and kind of be able to see it in all its glory. And whoever wins this probably should pull the tank off. We just and just see some of the like wiring stuff that Tyler has done on that's, this as well. That's where my OCD comes in. I <laughs> <laughs> organizing wiring and reinforcing and waterproofing. Yeah, I mean, and that's where a lot of the labor. You know, you talked about labor, and people might think five thousand dollars. You know, all you did was you know convert it to a carb and then slap some parts on it but and i went through the wiring harness you know piece by piece and reinforced and waterproofed and you know and i i I do that on my bikes as well because you get out places after you know 50 hours of water getting in things and so forth you know you can have problems so i like to when the bike's new go through everything and uh you know try and prevent those things down the road so yeah, if you if you are ever in the market for a bike, um, <laughs> and you're looking for a used bike, I highly suggest <laughs> that you look at one of Tyler's bikes. Yes, he rides them hard, but no one I have never seen anyone who does better maintenance than than what Tyler does on his bike. So that's that's a testament to you. You've done amazing at that, um, and it's nice to it's nice to have a clean canvas to start with. If you're going to do a build like this or something, if you're going to do certain things to these bikes, I think it makes a lot of sense to do it when they're brand new. Um, even just something that I have noticed is way easier for me to do, which I do on most bikes is I own, I install tubeless. Now we didn't go tubeless. You went with, uh, the moose balls on this one to just try something different. But like when I get a bike, I, if I'm going to put tubeless on it, I'd rather do that before I've even ridden it. That way everything is clean. Yeah. Much easier to, to work on bikes and do major things, you know, when it's brand new and fresh. Yeah. When, when things are clean. So another thing that, uh, another big outlay of cash. And that's funny too, because We had, we had agreed, I think we had agreed on a, a $20,000 like price tag or something, which the bike, it came, I mean, he, he got a pretty good deal on it. It was like 10, three or 10, four, 10,400 yeah, or something, yeah. not including tax and title and those types of things. 
Um, but we're like, let's do $20,000, which essentially gave that's, about... That's n- one nice thing about the gas gases is, is it's a sem- essentially the same bike, but you can get it for a little bit of a discount. Yeah. And I went with the EX specifically because it comes with the Brembo um, components, the clutch and brakes, where if we would have started with an EC, that would have come with the brake tech brake stuff, tech. which and- isn't bad um i just don't like the front brake as much but yeah the rear brake it doesn't seem to matter i i can't really tell the difference the clutch is great too yeah the master cylinder is fine the front brake is maybe a little less it just i don't know it doesn't feel like it has quite as much power you have to pull it harder i think but yeah Yeah. so the ex 300 started about 10 4 which was going to give us ninety six hundred dollars in upgrades and then i i remember one day i'm out trying to go for a little bit of a ride and tyler called me and he's like hey I'm thinking about doing this thing with the bike, but it's going to increase. We're going <laughs> to blow the budget. So we might have had a couple of those conversations, but ultimately what we both decided in the end was if we're going to do it, either go big or go home. Um, Cause the whole point is to see if this is something that people would be interested in as a sweepstakes bike. Well, from, from my standpoint, it was like, is this going to be something that will be people be interested in as a sweepstakes bike from Tyler's side of things. It's something really fun to do for him to learn to have a project to work on and then also to build your Instagram following, which you've done amazingly well at. That's something that you've really been building the last few years and you've done a monumental job on that. I, I haven't focused on Instagram nearly as much and I'm like, I always feel bad. I'm like, Tyler's doing so much more with Instagram um, than I am. <laughs> I, I'm, I, get, I have, have lots of time. I don't do YouTube. I so. <laughs> get bogged down with some of these other things. But yeah, it, it's a it's a nice thing for you because you're able to produce this content for people. Yeah. And then also you're learning. And I don't know how much we'll get into it today, but one of your, your project last year that you spent a lot of time was the 150 project. Yeah. Um, and just briefly touching on that. Uh, that was where you tried to make the lightest bike that you could, the lightest enduro bike that you could make and tried to see how much weight you could shave off that bike. And what? Did, how much weight did you end up shaving? So it was a 2021 150 XCW TPI. And I decided to go with the TPI again. I, with my builds, I like to do things that haven't been done before. So I looked around and everybody that was doing lightweight builds was using MX bikes because they're already light, you know, to start start with. with. And so I thought, okay, should I just get like a 125 XC or uh, a 150 SX and do the project with that? And, you know, I could do that, but it'd be just like all the other lightweight builds I've seen out there. So I decided to make it harder on myself and start with a 150 XCW TPI, which is significantly heavier than either the XC or SX bike and see how light I could get it. Uh, the bike started out stock um, without fuel at 214 pounds. Um, close to a year later when I was done, took me roughly about 11 months to finish the project. I had dropped it down to 175 pounds. In which eight, is In eight ounces, I believe. Which is 39 pounds. Yes. <laughs> and... Just like I went through every nut and bolt on Project Iron Horse, I did the same thing with that 150. But this time I went through everything and said, how can I make it lighter? And it was hard because I wanted to balance saving weight and not affect um, reliability too much. Some things naturally, when you cut out a lot of weight, you're going to affect the reliability. Um, But I tried really hard not to, to do that. So... Um, overall it, I mean, you saw the bike and lifted it up. It, it was pretty cool bike and I rode it for a little bit. 
Um, I soon realized a lot of the things I did weren't realistic <laughs> and, and probably weren't, weren't great for the type of writing I did, but I learned a ton from that project. Um, and yeah, really fun project. I remember we had, I'm going to try to pull it up here. We went out to the great salt lake. Um, trying to, Oh, Tyler, here it is. Tyler's 150 project bike. So we went out, I'm just looking in Lightroom, um, on my computer. We go out to the great salt lake and took some pictures of that bike, did some drone footage and stuff. And I have pictures of Tyler picking the bike up, <laughs> like actually like picking it up. It and, wasn't and too hold. hard at 175 pounds. I mean, it, it's barely above like trials bikes, you know, at that weight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I made him do it. Like I made him do it a bunch of times because I, I was trying to get like video footage and pictures and whatever. He had to deadlift the bike like eight, nine times. I feel like I was just, the, the funny thing is, is that was at the time was the most expensive build I did. And that was, you know, all on my own time. But that one was roughly about $23,000 that cost me. So that includes the bike. So roughly about $13,000 to drop that 39 pounds. And, and the first, the first few pounds, um, lots of it was free, you know, removing the headlight tail light. Um, and, and that's one other reason I, I wanted to start with the XCW, um, not only because it was a challenge, but because it weighed more to start with, there was more that you could take off of it, you know, more weight. Whereas the 150 SX, I mean, it's pretty much bare bones as it is. Um, so I was able to lose a ton of weight, you know, just for free. And then um, some of the other first pounds that came off the bike were fairly inexpensive. But as you got down, it got more expensive and it got it more expensive very quickly. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just pulling, uh, you can probably see some of these pictures that I got up on my computer here, but I'm looking at some of these pictures and it, it was a beautiful bike in its own right. It was amazing. All of these builds that you've been doing are unique. This pipe that you did on the 150, I thought it was, I mean, it's a really good looking pipe. I think yeah, that's, the, a, I, that's a titanium pipe. I think the pipe that went on the iron horse to me actually looks cooler. Like oh, they're, yeah, ju they're just as far the the 150 pipe is amazing hand built pipe hand welded pipe titanium probably crazy expensive yeah and it was for what weight savings but the one the motos pipe that you did on the on the um the the moto, iron horse the is, motos pipe see everything I did I, I'm still weight conscious when I do other builds and I was weight conscious when I did this gas gas build um you know that wasn't the objective of the build but that pipe is a stainless steel pipe so sure can it get dented and smashed like any other pipe yeah it can but it, it's going to hold up pretty well i think i've heard from some people that have used it and said that it holds up great yeah but it, going just a little bit back to the 150 bike um what i noticed he and you put and you you published most of this stuff or a lot of the stuff on Instagram. It was kind of crazy. You would say, okay, here's the part that I changed to, and here's the part number and yeah, here are the grams it, that, that I that, saved. That actually was a ton of time and effort that went into that. So if people want to go look at my Instagram page, I have every part that I swapped out on that bike to save weight. I have a post on it and I have calculations of how much that part saved down to you know the gram yeah you were doing grams at that point because it wasn't making sense to do 
ounces. I noticed that at the beginning, I I'm actually, like, oh, I saved this I, many pounds. I did both. It, honestly, the metric system is just a lot easier when you're dealing with it. You know, instead yeah. of doing pounds and ounces, yeah. it's just easier to deal with grams. Um, but I, I actually converted it, and that that wasn't very fun. But everything it has, both metric and you know pounds and ounces, and how much uh, the part saved. And then I didn't put cost. Um, but you can look up all these parts and see how much they cost. And then you can determine, Hey, is that pound worth that five ounces? You know, I'm going to save and, you know, looking back on it, I learned a ton, so I don't regret doing it at all. Um, and because of it, I am a lot more weight conscious when I build my bikes and other bikes. Um, there's certain things I, I don't put on my bike just because I know how much they weigh and how that affects the bike. But um, I, and it, and it felt super lightweight. Like the bike was awesome. It felt like a mountain bike, like, especially like the side to side movement. Um, it was like nothing I've ever felt before, but it wasn't, when you say side to side, what do you mean? Like, like as you're going down the road and like, um, you know, kind of moving your body weight in the bike okay. to one side to the other, it just, man, had a super light feel. Um, but it wasn't really realistic. And there's some things that you don't, I learned you don't want to um, skimp, you know, skimp on and, and re- reduce reliability um, in favor of weight. So what wasn't realist? What was something that wasn't realistic? Well, for my riding, you know, the more technical riding stuff, the pipe probably wasn't realistic. Um, you know, that's a very thin walled titanium pipe. And I, I just knew I, I wrote it, you know, on some kind of faster stuff. And I knew if I took it in the rocks, I would smash that thing. And that's a $1,300 pipe. Oh gosh. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's not realistic. There were some things I did with, um, the wheels. I mean, I saved like eight pounds in the wheels alone. Um, the tires probably weren't realistic. I, I found the lightest, uh, 18 and 21 inch tires that are made and they're made by Dunlop through the K990 tires. Um, they're like the, the front's like two pounds lighter than your typical front tire. I think it was in the six pound range. Uh, the, but then you're going to get flats probably. Well, it, they're made for vintage bikes and cause a lot of those old vintage bikes don't have the horsepower to, to turn and move the more modern tires, the heavier tires so that's why Dunlop makes them. Um, but I mean, the front was like uh, 90, 70, 100, you know, super narrow and thin. And same with the rear. Um, the rear was almost like some of the front tires I have in width. Um, so those probably weren't realistic. Um, I don't know. I mean, I had a, a carbon fiber skid plate that, pro- you know, probably would hold up. But long term, who knows? Um, and it's been such a while since I've thought about that project. I'm kind of drawing a blank on everything I did, but there was so much stuff. I just remember thinking when you would do, you were making posts every day or every other day or something. And it was just kind of mind boggling to, to see what you'd put down in your thoughts and what my takeaway was, which is, you know, simplifying it vastly, but when I've told people about it, I'm like, Tyler gave himself a crash, like a master's course in weight on these machines. 
Um, and something that you had mentioned to me multiple times, and we'll get back to the iron horse because that's what we're one of the things we're here mainly to talk about. But um, you had mentioned how difficult it was to to remove weight from these bikes, and it gave you a new a new appreciation for what the manufacturers are doing, where they're making these bikes on a wide scale, especially with KTM. And you're like, it was harder to lose weight than I thought. Cause you're going every time I was losing weight, I was giving something up. I was giving up like a yep. durability or longevity or, or, um, or something like this. And so you're like, they had, it kind of gave you an, a new appreciation for what they were doing. Cause it's like, you're able to produce this bike that is pretty dang light and it's also pretty dang durable and you're mass producing it. And then here I'm spending hundreds of hours researching stuff to try to save, you know, a few ounces here and a few ounces there. And I'm, and I'm doubling or more than doubling the cost of the bike to try to shave 39 pounds. And so it gave you like a new and a new appreciation for what these manufacturers go to and what the engineers are going through to try to have a bike that is lightweight and improve it year to year to year if they can. Um, and uh and continue to push the ball forward without making the bikes heavier yeah absolutely ktm does an amazing job at making their bikes lightweight you know fairly affordable and reliable so can they make them lighter weight yes but it comes at a very high cost yeah and people complain about the cost they always there's a lot of people that complain about the cost of the ktms um and they just have done that the thing that always has been frustrating to me is like people don't recognize how expensive everything is. You want to talk about how expensive these dirt bikes are, go into mountain bikes. You can buy mountain bikes that are $10,000 mountain bikes and they don't have motors. You know, oh, they don't have, they don't have yeah. any of the stuff that we have on these bikes. And so, yeah, it's frustrating that 10 years ago you could buy a bike for eight grand and now you're buying the bikes for, you know, 10, 12 out the door, but everything has increased in cost. Inflation has been out of control. Um, and so the fact that, that, yeah, the bikes get $200 more expensive every year, it's frustrating, but it's just, it is what it is. And yeah, you can go out and you can get a Yamaha like the, so the Yamaha that I have, I've got a YZ 450 FX. It's a little bit cheaper than, than, you know, the KTMs, but there are certain things with the Japanese bikes you don't get. Sometimes you don't even get electric start. You know, people will always compare like a YZ 250 to, and they say, oh, look, Yamaha still makes this bike. That's super cheap. Or YZ 125, and if it's $2,000 less than the KTM 125, well, it doesn't have electric start, and it doesn't have the same gas tank, and it doesn't have the same, you know, it doesn't have all of these different things. It doesn't have a six-speed gearbox. And so you start lining the things all down, and yes, the KTMs are expensive, but the other thing that is always frustrating to me when people talk about how expensive KTM is, because I'm buying other bikes, Sherco's just just as expensive. The biggest checks I've ever written for motorcycles to date are a Sherco and a TM. Yeah, not all the other brands aren't far off KTM now. I just saw a post by a guy on Instagram that was at a dealer, and it was a YZ250X, a 2023, and it was listed for nine grand. You know, so and you're and you're not getting all those things that you mentioned. And with this 150 project, it came with both electric start and um the kickstart on that bike and to save weight i dropped the kickstart but kept the the electric start i could have saved more weight by going the other way but electric start that shows you how much of a necessity necessity that it is to me so yeah once you've the people who bag electric start they just they haven't had it yet you know it's like it'd be like if you sit there 
there, I bet you there were still people that were complaining about electric, um, like power windows in cars back in the seventies and eighties. People would complain about that, I think. But once you've had an actual electric window, you don't want to have to crank your window up. In fact, I bet you a lot of the people listening to this podcast have never even had a car that had a, an actual manual crank window. <laughs> and I feel like once you've had electric start on a motorcycle, on a dirt bike, that's what you want. And especially if you get into these crazy situations on, on side hills and stuff, it's one thing to be out in the desert and you know you stall your bike. It's annoying to kick it. If you're not on, or if you live in the Midwest, or I don't even know, just in these places where you don't get on hills, electric start may not be that big of a thing to you. But if you're completely gassed and you have no more energy, or if you're just on a side hill, you know, and you, it's sometimes it's almost impossible to kickstart a bike in some of the situations that we've been in. It's just like electric start is saving you so much time, so much energy, so much hassle, making the experience so much better. Um, and then, yeah, there's a possibility that you could break something or the, you know, that, a a component of your electric start could fail, which is why a lot of us have wanted these backup kickstarts. But in truth, the backup kickstart is only used in like 0.00000%, you know, 1% of the time. Um, you might need it one time a year or you might need it one time every five years, you know, so they have just dropped that the backup kickstarts in, in favor of weight, which has been hot, hotly contested, I think. But yeah, you know. I mean, if I could, keep a backup kickstart i i would prefer that but you know i see what they're doing and we just have to adapt and survive so um with that 150 project though i got it down to 175 pounds and i found only two other bikes full-size dirt bikes that are lighter than that and they were in the 165 to 168 pound range and so i wasn't far off that and both of those were carbureted mx bikes one was actually an older vintage bike that had an air-cooled motor um that was was really lightweight uh so if looking back i learned a ton from it it was a super fun project to do awesome bike but if i were to do it again i would probably you know going for the record i would definitely start with a 150 sx or a 125 sx uh those start out 193 pounds stock um and i think if i do that in the future i've learned enough that i think that i could beat you know that 165 pound bike that's the lightest full-size bike that i've seen as as it is the 150 xcw um that i um built is the lightest full-size fuel injected dirt bike that i've ever seen i haven't seen a fuel injected dirt bike lighter than that which is pretty cool that's very cool I haven't looked at the pictures of this for a long time, but there were so many cool things that you did on that. Attention to detail is something that makes your builds, I think, unique um, that a lot of people are not doing. I, it, I could have converted this bike to a carb um, and saved some more weight. Uh, I did convert it from TPI to TBI to save some some pounds because I still wanted to keep it fuel injected, but... Um, you know, moved the injectors to the throttle body and then ran premix in it. Uh, I can't remember how much that saved, but it saved a little bit because you got rid of uh, the oil tank and the oil pump. But. That's awesome. So on, going back to the iron horse here, though, the uh, the star of the day, a um, lot of different things, a lot of, oh, let's talk about suspension because that was, that was one of the... <laughs> Uh, there were a couple things that blew our budget, the expense suspension being being one of them. 
Um, so talk to me a little bit about yeah, I think, what I think the, that was the biggest cost on this entire build. What was the decision? Cause it went to, you went with a KYB well, conversion. Again, we wanted to make it as unique as possible. And as you know, all the KTM brand bikes come with WP components. And so, you know, whether it's true or not, everybody says that KYB is the best, <laughs> you know, I've written, I've written some KYB suspension. That's absolutely terrible. And I've written some that's been great. So to me, it's, it's more how the suspension set up rather than the brand that's on, you know, those forks or shock. Um, but KYB is really good stuff. And so I've always wanted to do a KYB fork conversion. So that's what the initial plan was, was to do the KYB fork conversion. Um, then as I got into it further, I found out that uh, KYB makes a A kit shock for the KTM brand linkage bikes. And when I saw that, and then I looked at the price tag, I went, Ooh, boy, uh, we're going over <laughs> the budget if Kyle says this is okay. And so I called you up and I said, Hey, you know, we don't have to do this, but if we did it, it would be awesome. It would make this bike just super unique. Um, and I think that shock is like a $2,800 shock, just the shock itself. But it's an A kit shock, um, just beautiful looking shock. Um, and then it comes in that kind of tan bronzish color. And then what we did is we we converted the forks with the K by E conversion from technical touch. Um, it was Kevin at um, Moto Experts that did the conversion for us and all the work on the suspension. Um, and we had the fork seracoded to match the shock. And I think it turned out awesome. It's kind of a, a brownish, bronzish, bronzy color and uh, works great with the other browns and the iron horse frame and seat and everything, graphics. So, yeah, it's over a $5,000 upgrade just on, on the suspension alone, uh, custom valved, and then lots of cool coatings um, on the, obviously anodized the fork the uppers and then the fork lowers are dlc coded and and that's what kevin i mean kevin is a master at that he uh, if, if you don't follow him on instagram he posts stuff all the time the moto experts is their instagram page of just this that you know trick suspension that just looks amazing all kinds of different coatings and dlc coatings and combinations i mean he does an amazing job yeah. And that, that was one of those conversations we had where we're going to go over the budget, but we decided that if you go big or go home on this. Yeah. So and, you, you, all you guys better go enter and, and try to win this bike because if it works out well, then maybe we can do this again. Yeah. It was frustrating because yesterday was the beginning. Today is March 2nd. We're recording this. So the sweepstakes opened yesterday. Um, and one of, I had a decent sales day yesterday um, but what was frustrating is, so there's a lot of different ways that I kind of get people to know about these things. The first thing is there's a YouTube video that comes out. Uh, and that's one of the first places that people find this stuff out. And then I will also do like an email blast. And then later in the day I did a text message blast. Um, what is also on top of that is I typically am doing a quite a bit of advertising on Instagram and Facebook. And I use a company, um, one of my good buddies that does a Facebook and Instagram ads, they manage that for me. Well, we didn't have a single ad run yesterday. In fact, I'm just looking on Slack here on my computer. And as of what, an hour ago, 
we still hadn't had our ads approved. And so we've been using the same type of ads with the same type of ad copy for the last few years. And uh, Facebook has been rejecting, they rejected like every single ad we placed. Um, And we're trying to figure out why. The only reason I bring that up is because I was a little bit frustrated. Well, I was quite a bit frustrated yesterday, halfway through the day with the way that sales were going. And then I, once I overlaid the fact that, well, I'm not actually spending anything in Facebook and Instagram yet. Um, it, it was, a, it was an okay day. Cause I still know there's a bunch of people out there that don't know or haven't had the reminder that this thing is up and up and going. So if you enter to win this thing by going to my website, uh, dirtbikechannel.com, any purchase you make over there in the month of March, get you entered for the gas gas and the Yamaha. Cause there's a YZ 450 FX that we're giving away. Um, but yeah, I still have, I've had a, I had a good sales day yesterday. Today has been a little bit down as far as, cause I know the metrics that I have to have to make these things profitable. Not going to say what they are, but you've noticed if you've noticed in this industry or in other industries, a lot of times people will do these giveaways, but they don't continue them. You see a bunch of people do a bike here or there, but then they don't continue it because it's hard. It's hard to actually make this profitable and make it work. So one of the, one of the things that we decided together, Tyler and I was, was like, well, if we're going to try to do something like this, let's just go big or go home. Um, let's spend extra money, maybe spend more money that we're, I'm not even at uh, the beginning wasn't comfortable with, but it'd be better to spend an extra $5,000 in making this as good as we could make it. And then we'll know. And then if it doesn't, if this giveaway doesn't do as well, then I know maybe that's not something we do in the future. If it does well, then we can continue to do projects similar to this. Yeah. And down, but we, and but down, we would down the road, you know, we probably won't do, you know, builds this expensive, you know, or don't have to, this was kind of one we were throwing everything at it just and to we, see what, happened. just to see. And we even had help from a lot of companies, you know, awesome companies that were willing to help us out. And a big thanks to all of them. Cause you know, they made it possible too. So like even scar racing foot pegs. So these, this is a company that I hadn't even heard of and they did the, the foot pegs and, and the, and the brake tip and they gave, yeah, you know, titan- sig- they're both titanium, titanium foot pegs and significant tip. discounts on, on a lot of these things. So there were a lot of companies that just, you know, wanted a little bit of an exposure and, and, and uh, there's a lot of cool companies out there that did stuff like that. Like it looks like Dirt Tricks gave yeah. discounts on things. And let's see who else. Uh, two two ride frame plug. That, oh, that was that was that That's frame, frame plug, plug to to cover. There the, were a lot of the companies that helped uh, crosslink components with the swing arm guards. Dirt Tricks you mentioned. Uh, T Rex throttle that awesome billet throttle. Uh, uh, the Mako 360 bar mounts. Um, p3 carbon clutch cover and the fiber brake cover Yeah, p3 um just a lot of cool companies that helped fcp that um did the foot peg pins and engine brackets and motor mounts <laughs> i was laughing because you said the foot peg pins are almost like a hundred dollars a piece and you said i'm like why and like well because they're oversized so they fit really tight well and they're and they're solid titanium well, and they're yeah. re- really pretty colors they too. are pretty they're they're very pretty um but i had to laugh because i was um installing some flow motorsports pegs on my 250 xc yesterday afternoon and it you're just using the standard pins that go up through there and i hadn't done a foot peg in i don't even know it's been a few years and the first one i use i kind of use like a screwdriver to push down through there and then i'll chase the pin back up through the other side as I, and one of them worked out really well. And it's always hard to do stuff when you're filming it. And so I was like, I'll film this. It'll be like B B roll. And so the first side I did, 
I felt pretty good about it because you're trying to get that spring down there and you put the pin. Anyway, if you've ever put a foot peg on a, a dirt bike, you know what I'm talking about. It can be an arduous experience. So, so like now, the first, now just yeah, make it even harder yeah, with the oversized. The first one went well. Then I flipped the bike around, started the camera again. And all the, all the only thing that happened for the next 10 minutes was the F word. Like I, <laughs> I was just like, and so when you, and I finally got it, I had to just like step away for a second and then boom, I got it in. And when you're like, well, this is oversized. So they're a pain to put in. I was, I was having like PTSD from 24 hours earlier. I'm like, I had a hard enough time with the stock one. I don't know if I want to get these oversized hundred. If I spend, if I spend a hundred dollars per foot peg pin and I can't even put them in, I don't know what I would you do. You can get them in. It's they're just harder. <laughs> <laughs> but they're super lightweight they're oversized so there's no slop you know it protects those uh, mounting holes in your uh, frame you know that slop over time of the foot peg moving back and forth can kind of you know wear that that area out so yeah one thing that was interesting to me is the battery well i mean there's a lot of things that were interesting but the battery you decided to put in it's it's the uh the anti-gravity battery the eight cell right yep I've used the I've used several times their their restart battery, um, which is the one that is basically got a little bit of electronics inside of it where it won't let itself go dead. If it gets below a certain voltage, it shuts its own power off. Um, what what have you learned? And you said you're really liking this eight cell battery that you put in there. What have you learned yeah, with that? So one? I originally started out with the eight cell. That's the battery that I ran for a really long time. Um, it has eight cells, and so double the capacity of your typical like the stock battery for example um has 240 cold cranking amps where the stock battery has i believe 150 so even if it's cold i mean it fires the bikes up four stroke two stroke right up awesome battery haven't ever had an issue with it i then went when they came out with that restart battery uh switched over to that because i like the restart technology you know, the fact that it won't let itself drain all the way, you know, shut itself off before it does so um, was pretty cool. And I thought that could be um, a good feature to have not having a backup Kickstarter. So, you know, potentially the battery would shut itself off before you drained it all the way um, and save you there. The The thing is that, and it's a great battery, don't get me wrong. Uh, I still have it in one of my bikes, but it, it has the same cold cranking amps and capacity as the stock ba- battery essentially um so i just found that that eight cell is just more powerful um and just fires the bike right up and doesn't drain as much and so i actually put that eight cell so the new 2023 xc bikes uh they come with that low output stator uh, on, that comes from the sx bike and so they only put out, I believe, 25 to 30 watts of, of power. And that's not a lot. So if you want to run a fan, your fan's going to be 15 to 30 watts, depending on which one you run. Um, the Tusk is 15. The Trailtech is 30 watts. And that doesn't leave a lot extra to charge the battery, right? So what the, one of the first things I did is took the stock battery out because I heard several people in hard enduro situations that were running their fan a long time were draining the battery just wasn't recharging um, enough to keep up and so i put that eight cell in and i've been out on a few you know it's been a winter so i haven't been using the fan a ton but i think that will really help in those bikes because it has a lot more capacity um, less likely to drain drain the battery with that 
Yeah, and it looks like Rocky Mountain ATV has those for about 162 bucks. So yep. it's, it's not even that. I mean, obviously, it's more expensive than some of these other batteries but i i it's nice to have some quality components in the bikes and and know that it's it's going to work and unfortunately with the way that they re uh, they're using that stator from the mx bikes it's just not as much power as we're used to having so yeah we were we were kind of spoiled in the tpi days because the xc tpi bike shared most of their dna with the xcw line um now moving over to the tbi era those xc bikes now share most of their dna with the sx which yeah. is kind of a bummer in a way because those xc bikes used to be awesome you know yeah soft enduro bikes now they're not so much i think um but you know we'll see what the xcws look like coming out they'll definitely have a large uh, larger uh, flywheel and a higher output stator you know to handle the lights and everything that will come on that bike. Um, and so you could potentially take parts of that and put them on your XC. Uh, but I, I think now if you want to do technical riding, you're, we're kind of getting pushed more towards those the W's W's. So, yeah. Cause they even changed the gearing, like the transmission ratios on the XC's for the 2023. And I don't like it as much. Um, which should be the same exact gearbox that will be on the XCW's. I think that they just found a middle ground and that way they only have to produce one gearbox for both bikes. Yeah. And if they were going to just do one, it's probably better than the XCW gearbox, but it isn't as good as what, uh, what as yeah. far as for me, I don't like it as much as what the old ones, the, I, I the older bikes were. And so people will email me. I had a guy email me yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. And he said, Hey, I have the shot at getting a 2022 250 XC, the TPI bike. And it was a leftover he found somewhere or I could get a 23 250 XC with the, you know, TBI motor. Um, and he's like, what should I do? And I literally told him, I'm like, if it were me, I would get the leftover bike, save the two grand and put that towards gas and tires. Because from my standpoint, the main changes that they did on the 2023 XC bikes, I love the motor. Um, but a lot of the other changes I don't love as much, you know, there are certain things I don't know as much about the plastics. I haven't had to pull a lot of plastics off. I know they redesigned the fender and things on the rear, which may or may not be good, but the bikes got stiffer. So the 2023 bikes got much stiffer on the XC line and, um, and I don't love the gearing changes as much. And so I'm just like, yeah, I'd save the money. I'd yeah, for the, me personally, the, I'd say the, the motor, grand. the motor is amazing. I absolutely love it. So I have the 23 250 XC and then my other bike, my more hard enduro bike is a 23 300 XCW TPI that I converted to a carb just like I did for iron horse. And so I've been riding them back to back and there's something about that new frame and chassis that doesn't feel as light and nimble as the old one. Have you noticed? It feels like to me, my hands and feet are closer together. It, it, there's that feeling there's just it feels longer and i know i'm comparing a pds bike to a, a linkage, linkage and that might have something to do with it but there's something that frame on the older model felt more comfortable um not as rigid and stiff there's probably something with the suspension that's playing a role in that too because the new suspension's fairly stiff um at least the shock the forks and you know you can play around the air pressure and 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 soften it up a bit but and that shock is a stiff shock. So, well, and I also had heard people say one of the problems when they went, they stiffened their frame up a lot 
on in this 23 bike um, on the XC bikes and they're they didn't realize how much they would need to change their suspension and who knows like the problem with suspension is it's all subjective to one from one rider to the next um, but yeah I felt like they're a stiff enough bike and I've I've ridden three different models I rode the 300 XC the 250 XC and the 125 XC and all of those I felt were quite stiff um, and, and so it, I've and told if, people, yeah, if you have a shot at, a, at one of these older bikes, these older XC bikes, and you're going to save some money, go for that. Don't get so wrapped up in the fact that the motor has changed and different and possibly better because the TPI wasn't, there wasn't anything majorly wrong with that. If you put in an idle screw in the bike, uh, so you could adjust your idle independent of the air bypass screw. Um, I feel like you could get, I hadn't had a bike. There was only one of the maybe 20 different models of TPIs that I had that I couldn't make run exactly how I wanted to. The others, they all ran amazing. Some of them, it took me 10 minutes to tune them. Some of them, it took me an hour or two or two different rides or three different rides before I got them to run the way I wanted them to. But here's what I noticed with the TPI bikes. Once I got the bike to run how I was happy with it, it ran that way everywhere I went. Didn't matter what altitude, elevation, didn't matter what temperature, the bikes always ran consistent, which doesn't happen with a carbureted bike. You know, so even if you, even with electrons or smart carbs that I've had, once I get the smart carb running well, there's still a little bit of a variance and same thing with the electron. So that was something that I noticed with TPI is, yeah, it was frustrating sometimes to get them to run exactly the way you wanted. But as soon as you got that dialed in, it seemed to hold that. It seemed to hold that forever. Whereas the carbureted bikes, you always have a little bit of a variance in how they, how they ran. Yeah. That was what my experience has been. And then on TBI, I would um, say that I would say the TBI is almost like taking the best of a carburetor, like the feel more, you know, low end grunt yeah. feel of a carburetor and then mix it with the best of it. The TPI has to offer. I totally agree. And so going forward, that is going to be the thing. And at least on the XC models, you drop the oil pump, which is cool. And um, that would be one reason if someone's looking at, you know, the older generation versus the new generation, if you absolutely do not want an oil pump and want to run premix, you know, that would be a reason to go with the new generation. It will be, but, but it, from what we're seeing in different different rumors and stuff. It looks like the XCWs in 2024 are going to be kind of a hybrid where they'll have, they'll be TBI, but they'll still be oil yeah, injected, they'll right? They'll still have oil injected. So you'll, yeah. so for some people they'll like that because they won't have to mix gas. Others are going to be not And I think it's a that. smart move by KTM because, you know, you're giving those that love the oil injection and the convenience of it, that option. And then those that primarily racers that want lighter weight and less complexity, you can get the XC. And if you're riding faster trails or desert racing or stuff like that, man, that XC is is amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. The only problem I'm seeing with the suspension and frame is when you're getting in the really, really tight stuff. Um, I just notice it doesn't feel as nimble and flickable and, and, and plush as you know, the older bikes I've had. So Yeah, but it, it does give us... One of the nice things is we have options, you know, yep. and then... If you don't like the KTM or gas gas lineup, you can go with Sherco uh, or even TM. So I bought a TM recently, haven't ridden it, but there's a lot. And then beta, didn't even mention beta. Uh, there's a lot of different options that we have. And I think we're, we're really lucky that we still have as many options as we do in the off-road market because most of this is pushed. Most of the attention for dirt bikes comes with motocross. So you've got supercross and motocross and a lot of the stuff that we end up getting on these off-road bikes triple trickles down from the racing 
um, you know, changes that they, that they make. Some are, some translate better than others to this off-road market, you know, and, but then we've got a lot of different companies that will, you know, kind of pick up the slack in the aftermarket, for instance, trail tech or, or fans or something, you know, things like this. They went to, um, the, the fuel injected bikes and then suddenly the bikes ran hotter. They just ran hotter because I think there were less fuel coming in. And so it's like, now it became more important for you to run a fan on, and, on that note though. I, I do feel the TBIs are running a lot cooler. Totally. They're, the run, TBIs, they're running so the much. TBIs. They're running so much more fuel. Like I'm noticing yeah. on my tailpipes. I'm just like, I've got fuel. I've got oil coming out of my tailpipe in ways that I never had on the TBI yeah. or TPIs. So, and I've actually heard of people fouling plugs on them, which I, I never heard of really with TBIs. The only people, the one fifties, I think there were some, the one fifty. the only, the only TPI bikes that I heard about people fouling plugs on is if they just started the bike and let it idle for 10 yeah. minutes or if their crankcase pressure sensor failed yeah. and you would know it seemed like I could start to see it over email. I've never had a crankcase pe- pressure failure. Have you? No. The, the sensor, but I've had enough people email me where they say, Hey, I've got this bike. I ran it for 30 hours and then suddenly it will not stop fouling plugs. And, and, I, it, and I think out of all the issues that I heard of, pr- that's probably the biggest issue with the TPIs was that crankcase pressure sensor. And it seemed to affect the people in wetter climates more for some reason, like the Pacific Northwest. I don't know if moisture was getting in there or whatever. Um, but but honestly, I heard of very few oil pump failures, um, you know, or engines blowing up, things like that. The biggest thing I ever heard of, and I never even experienced it myself, was that crankcase pressure sensor. Yeah. And there was two of them on the bike and I don't yeah. even, I don't even know where the other one is cause I never had to replace one, but it was something that was happening. And then the other thing, obviously some, there would be one person that would have their oil pump fail. And then nine different people would post that and claim that this was their bike and look, this yeah. is happening. And that was, that's always been frustrating to me is when we do blanket statements, there was, there was a time there where um, everyone said that all beta motorcycles suck because there was a couple like there was a couple motors that had like engine failures. They had like main bearing failures or something like that. And for just a, it was for like a hot minute. Everyone was like, well, all the beta motorcycles suck. And it's like, no, that isn't true. But KTM has kind of been the biggest, like they've taken the biggest brunt from this where it didn't matter what they did. It was the people would say it was the wrong thing. They've ruined two strokes because they've made it more complex. And then a couple people had this, had a problem where the bike would all of a sudden like start to run in reverse for a second. I saw a couple videos of it online. Did you ever see that? Yeah. Or was like all of a sudden it would stop and then start to run backwards. Yeah. And, and then like all KTMs run backwards and it was just like flooding through the internet. And then it was like, Oh look, all KTMs, the, all the, all your oil pumps are going to fail every single oil pump. And, and people would say it like this. They'd be like, every oil pump is a ticking time bomb and it's only a matter of time before that fails. And I'm sitting there going, newsflash your entire motor is a ticking time bomb yep. every part of it, it's going to fail but if you're gonna if you and people would be like well you're gonna have to replace that oil pump every 20 hours to make sure and it's like no this some of them failed but the vast majority of them did not fail think about how and many you're water gonna have, pump- you're gonna have failures with almost every part on almost every brand of motorcycle out there 
if you you know did a search if you could do a search you will find something the difference is when a what when a water pump fails on a kx250x the internet doesn't explode and say all kx250x yeah. bikes suck whereas it does feel like that with ktm i don't know why people love to hate it but i'm, I'm sitting there going they're they're pushing the envelope and and pushing new tech technology and i think people are critic more critical of that and so they're probably more vocal. And Why not be just happy that somebody is trying to make I, these things better? Yeah, I have no idea. You know, because a high tide raises all ships and because they are consistently trying to, and not everything they do is works great. Some of the stuff is stupid and some of the stuff we have and, complained and, about. And if you follow me and have seen my stuff, I call them out all the time on, on stuff that when I get a new bike and have to go through and fix, you know, they don't do everything perfect. Right. At a, it, by any means so. right but then even i have i have people on this tm bike okay so i have people emailing me for years trying to get me to buy a tm tm racing you know they're they these handmade italian bikes or whatever people are telling me how amazing they are oh they okay so then here's here's what's funny then people see a post that i went and got one now i had people emailing me who are actual owners of tms and trying to soften things for me they're like hey you're going to notice this, this, and this. Let me let me just help you with this so that you don't go through the pain that I went through. And I'm sitting there kind of laughing because I'm like, first, it was all the people telling me you need to get one because they're amazing. Then I had people, then I bought one. Now I'm getting emails from people trying to circumvent me from not liking it because they will literally say, I've, there was an email from a guy and he was like, first thing you need to know about your TM is it's not, it's more like a kit bike. He's like, if you're used to having a KTM and then you compare this TM, it's going to feel more like a kit bike, like it's not fully finished. He'd be like, there will be times where you'll be messing with something and you'll say, well, they didn't think that through all the way because I'm used to having either a Yamaha or a Honda or a KTM or whatever, a mass produced bike where they've got like, they kind of polished some of the things. And now I'm on this TM and you'll be like, this is kit bike. Uh, so people are emailing me to try to like help me to not get too pissed off. And again, I haven't ridden it yet. There's just the one thing that we were talking about earlier today with the power valve, like the power valve has to reset. It goes through like a process when it starts up the bike where it kind of like figures out its ranges and it takes a couple minutes for that whole process to happen. Usually if it's the first start of the day, according to the dealer and some of the other people that have emailed me, it isn't a big deal because your bike isn't running that well when it's, when it's cold anyway. But if you stall the bike on a hill or somewhere and then you immediately try to get going again, it's going to, the ECU and the power valve are going to try to do this little dance again to try to figure out where their ranges are and your bike will run like garbage. It will have no low end. And it's just, all, just bizarre to me that they'd have that power valve reset after every, every stall. power cycle. Every, it's every, yeah. every power cycle. So in to try to circumvent me from hating it or just to have a better experience for their end customers, the dealer that I bought it from up here in Heber city, they know that this is an issue. So they put this arming switch on there, which allows you to basically get the bike running and get it all the way up to operating temperature and then flip this little switch, which keeps the electronics on so that when you stall it, the bike doesn't know the electronics doesn't know that it ever shut off. And so it doesn't try to reset itself and go through this. And it's like, if that happened, if, if something like that happened on KTM, like the world, like, it would be it would go nuclear like the the dirt bike world would go nuclear yeah but, but like like you said tm has known about this problem for some time i guess years and many figured, years but it, it goes back to the same thing with with ktm and the power valve puncture for example that started in 2019 when they came out with that generation 
they haven't fixed it until just barely when they came out with the brand new you know, radiators, gen- radiators yeah. which which we put on iron horse to prevent that power valve puncture so uh, you know it's frustrating all, all the manufacturers have these little issues and you know what if you're going to own these bikes and take them the places we take them you got to figure out ways to get around that you know adapt yeah. and survive you got to figure out some things because it's like you don't want to be stuck out in the middle of nowhere i i always think about the time when we were we were at five miles of hell and i was on that 2019 300 xcw that you dropped off the cliff did yeah. i drop it off a cliff was it the snowy cliff day where you no oh off? yeah that that was a different time Oh, that was a, yeah. the same bike, different. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, because we were at five miles of hell and it wouldn't start. Remember, we got to the crux, and then what had happened is it oh, blew a fuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm it sorry. blew a fuse, yeah. and we had three people there—me, you, and Sam—all looking at it, messing with things, and yeah. we couldn't. We didn't notice that the fuse was blown because we were just looking at the fuse. We didn't actually pull the fuse out. The point of that one was we couldn't get the bike to start. Um, the fuel pump fuse had blown. We swapped ECUs. We swapped fuel tanks. We swapped everything what we didn't do was check we just visually inspected the fuel pump fuse it looked like it was good if we had pulled that out and put the spare fuse in the bike would have started um and so it's just kind of like all the best laid plans there were there were several things that were done to that bike to kind of make it hardened or whatever and people had said well you never want to get in a situation where you don't have a kickstart and i'm going the only time i couldn't start my bike it even had a kickstart and it was because i had this fuse blown that i couldn't diagnose none of us you know i take full blame for that because i'm like no the fuse is good Um, and and out of all the fuel injected bikes that you and i have owned that's that's the biggest problem we've had really the biggest yeah and and it's, it's a minor issue but if you would have been on iron horse for example the carb converted bike that wouldn't even have been an issue because there's no so, fuel pump. So again, I I'm not one to say fuel injected is better than carburetor and or the other way around. They're both different. They're both they both have positives and negatives. One of the positives of a carburetor is just m- more simplicity to it. Um, you know, and if you have issues out on the trail, you're more likely to be able to get in there and fix it. Yeah. So there's that side of it. Now here's the other side that is super awesome for fuel injection. I'll give you a short little story. Um, my son comes to me a few months ago and he's like, dad, I'm, I'm all his friends. He's 14 and he hasn't started to, he's in a growth spurt, but he ha- he's got a lot more to grow and all his friends are riding like either two fifty four strokes or one twenty five two strokes. And he was still on this one uh, an 85 and he was just feeling like a little bit I want to be on a bigger bike. So he comes to me. He's like, dad, how, how long do you think until I can get a bigger bike? So I have him go sit on one of my bikes up here in the garage and he can, he could tiptoe on it. The next day I start calling around for a 125 XC. We go down, we buy this 125 XC and then it's been super hard to ride here recently, but I go out and I didn't do anything to the bike because it's a TBI fuel injected bike. I did nothing to it. I just put it in the trailer, went down to swing arm city and rode it for a few minutes. The bike ran better than any 125 I have ever seen. And I had done zero to it. I bring the bike back. And then a few weeks later, my son goes out and he rides it. And it ran amazing. I can't tell you, it's the first time I've had a bike for one of my boys that I didn't have to spend multiple hours tuning it. The KTM 50s that we had, I, I was always fish, 
you know, finicking yeah. around with those. The KTM 65s, I fini- uh, they were finicky. I put electron carburetors on them, and I was tuning those all the time. Same thing would happen with the 85s. I have two different 85s. Both of them have electron carburetors. They don't run the same. I, yeah, I, the, I checked the mini bikes are super finicky. Like I, I even pulled on the one bike. We had it running pretty good. The one eighty five SX. Um, I pulled the car, I pulled the, the metering rod out of that bike just to measure it with a dial indicator so that I could then just replicate that on the second one that we had. Didn't matter. I still had to spend like two hours tuning the thing because I couldn't get it to run exactly the way I wanted it to. And so I've spent all this time with these little mini bikes messing with them, messing with them, messing with them. And then I get this 125 TBI from KTM. Uh, oh, and then a couple of years back, I had like a 2021 125 XC that I put a smart carb or electron on that. And it never quite ran totally. It ran good, but it didn't run great. This TBI, yeah, I've had it, three it, of them. The 125, the 250, and the 300, I'm, I kid you not. All three of those bikes, every time I've, every time I've ridden those, and I haven't put a ton of hours on yet, but they've run better than any carbureted bike I've ever had. Yeah. They've run better than as good or better than any of the TPI bikes I've ever had. And I haven't touched them yet. So that's appears to be a huge step forward. That's the good side of it. The bad side of it is if you do have a failure, it's hard to figure out yep. and it's hard to know what's wrong. You know, if it, if it doesn't work just like that day out there at five miles of hell, if something doesn't work, you're just, it's not starting now. What? Whereas on these carburetor bikes, that was really really rare i think it's rare that a fuel injected bike won't start in my opinion that's rare but what you want to know what's rare 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 is a carbureted bike that doesn't start if it doesn't start it's probably because you're out of gas i mean that that's like your your petcock is off you know i mean that's usually what is happening with a carbureted bike is it's out of gas if it won't start or every once in a while you might have fouled a plug um, and if you have spark and you have fuel, they just run. Whereas the fuel injected bikes, it's a little there's bit more complicated. There's just more moving parts. And when you have more moving parts, there's more potential for or failure. Even, or and just more pro- electrical components. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Water gets in somewhere. Yeah. Which is, which is going back to your builds. Perfect segue back into this to Iron Horse. There was a lot of places where you you did, you know, water waterproofing we pulled off the you know the headlight and like, oh look i waterproofed this and i did that here and it there's just a lot of really cool things attention to detail um that you've done a good job on and what and one of the things that that makes it makes you a good riding partner because i never wonder um i always know if we're going to go somewhere and go ride the person who's probably going to have more problems is going to be me. I'm not, I'm not ever thinking like, Oh, this is because everyone knows that guy. You've probably ridden with somebody where it's like, if he comes on the ride that day, you're going to be, fake. Oh, I don't, I don't feel <laughs> that way with you. I've ridden with other people. I feel that way about, but, but you know, you know, not, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? There's the, there yeah. seems to be that guy in your group or maybe and, just and outside that guy, your group. that guy never has a tool pack. <laughs> He's like, Hey, can I borrow some, you know, something out of your pack? Yeah. Yeah. I carry tools with me. Like when I'm alone and stuff, or if I'm not going with Tyler, I carry tools. I mean, I do carry some tools when I go with him, but Jen, it's almost like an unspoken thing. Like when Tyler and I go riding, I usually drop my tools in favor of like a drone or something or a different camera. So, but it's, so it's nice to find if you have, if you have the ability to find people within your circle that are good on maintenance, that's a good thing to find. It's also useful to find people that ride, that ride similar motorcycles to you so that things can swap over, you know, we've been in situations where somebody broke a shift lever, 
you know, or a brake, like a foot, you know, foot brake lever or something like this. A lot of times people will carry hand levers or something, but there's, there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, this bolt came out. And if you're riding with somebody who has a similar motorcycle to you, you can just, you know, swap parts and they might have something in their tool pack that can work, you know? So a lot of cool things over the years that we've learned. But yeah, I'm super glad that they, uh, even on the power valve puncture thing, there's these little things on the 2023 KTMs where they've changed the angle of where the hose comes out of the radiator. Um, that has changed. And so they, they've solved some of those, some of those pieces. Uh, back to the iron horse though, um, you were mentioning on the fuel tank. So there's two different tanks that the winner will get. The one is the IMS tank. And then what was the other one? It's an, a motocross tank, right? Yeah, it's the motocross tank that they make for the MC125 and MC250. So those are the only two tanks that are made for a carbureted gas gas. Because a carbureted gas gas didn't really exist, but these are the ones that are compatible with it, right? Well, the only carbureted gas gas models are the two-stroke um, 125, Moto, motorbikes, 125 and 250. So I could have just put that moto tank on there for this build, but it's only two gallons yeah. and that's not big enough, you know, to go on long rides. So I got that tank. So whoever wins this bike, if they want, you know, say they're going up behind their house and they're going to do a 30 mile loop and they just want to put on that moto tank, it'll it, work. It, it works great. You know, if they're just doing shorter stuff or out doing drills, you can just have that tank, but say you're going to go on a 60 mile ride or a longer ride. That's where the IMS 2.9 gallon tank comes in. You'd throw that on. And that's probably, I mean, 2.9 gallons, uh, the stock tank is what? 2.25. Yeah. So you've got quite a bit more. You could probably go 80 miles. You know, I think you could go at least 80. It depends um, on the terrain. I, and it depends too on, uh, so I put the electron carburetor on there. I wrote it very little, just enough to tune it to where I felt it was running pretty good. But depending on where, you, you know, whoever, you were just in front of your house, yeah, like just, on the street. Exactly. To keep I it clean. never took it out and the trails or anything just on my on the street to set up the suspension just at a, a baseline and then the carburetor so whoever wins this is gonna obviously have to you know set the suspension up for themselves and then probably maybe play with the the metering rod a little bit it might you know depending on what elevation and stuff they're riding they might have to tune it a little bit but once you set that carburetor they're they're pretty good you shouldn't have to touch it maybe adjust the idle here and there um but if I've had electrons on stock tanks I've gotten 75 miles out of. So with a 2.9 gallon tank, I mean, I would be surprised if you got anything less than, you know, maybe 80. Yeah. And it's just nice to have a little bit extra in there. Yeah. What about the TSP head? So you went with the medium compression head TSP. What was your thought there? Well, you you have to, as part of the conversion, you have to replace the head or at least I did. Um, because I was going with the carbureted cylinder and part of it was for bling factor. You know, it's really nice copper bronze looking head. And the other part of it was their medium compression head, um, has worked pretty well. I have it on my 300 that I converted to a carb. Um, I'm not usually a big fan of high compression heads on neither am I 300s. Why neither am I, but why are you not? I, I, the bikes have plenty of power stock. Like I, I don't feel like I can ride the stock power to its full potential. So why do I need more? Even at high elevation, I'm, I've never been in a case where I'm like, I want more power on this 300 on the two fifties. It's a different story. I do think that they're awesome there. 
three hundreds. Um, yeah, not so much. Uh, again, it, it was more for the bling factor, and you know, there's some performance gains there um for those you know if you're doing hill climbs and um you know whatever and need a little bit more power super high elevation higher than us and you want more then it's great um they make uh removable inserts so you know if you wanted to go even higher you can go higher with theirs and you can go lower as well they have a low compression head that's i think similar to stock or lower um, makes it super smooth and tractable so it it they make really high quality products and there's lots of um you know customizing that can be done with it to suit your riding style so yeah i i agree with everything you said there i think a lot of people uh i it's one of the things that has been hard for me to wrap my brain around especially as i've ridden more and more is just the race that everyone has to get more power they, they want to install a new ECU or they want to install, you know, a, a high compression head or, or whatever it is because they think they need a little bit more power. And I'm just like, man, we are, we are, none of us, most of us are only getting, you know, less than 30%. I feel like less than 30% of the capability out of these, out of these machines. And so if I then add two or three or four or five more horsepower, now I'm getting even less out of its capability. Am I really, I just have ridden with enough people. I've been humbled enough times by different riders and not even, I mean, I've ridden with some pro people and I've ridden with some just regular Joes like me. And I've come to find out that these bikes are way more capable than I will. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to squeeze. I don't think I'll ever squeeze more than 40% of the capability capability out of any of the big bikes. And I'm even talking about a 125. I think, I think I could probably get about 40% of the, of the capability of a 125 is probably all I would max, ever max out at. So if I'm going to ride a 250 or a 300, I'm going to be somewhere in this 30% range. That's the way that my brain works is yeah. I'm going to be able to get about 30% of the capability of this machine out because so much of this doesn't have anything to do with power. You watch like a Graham Jarvis and Cody Webbs and, and these different people and you see how they're doing things with their bikes. They're not revving them up too much. You know what I mean? Even like um, some of the local guys that we have around here, uh, you watch how they ride and the things that they do and you listen to their motors and it's like, they're not, it's not like you're wrapped out to do any of this stuff. Yeah. So much of it is about your weight on the bike and the balance and the timing and all these things. And so everyone wants to add more power. And I'm like, I don't think that's the answer. Power is not always your friend, but proper technique is. So Yeah. Yeah. And it all depends on the kind of riding you're doing. You know, if you're someone that's just out hitting big old hills you know and full throttle all the time and you need that little bit extra then or you're at super high of elevation and you feel it like you need it then great that's awesome i just for me personally and for the riding i do it, it just i don't feel like i need it on the 300 yeah even when we've been up at like eleven thousand feet like the bikes have had yeah. enough power yeah i mean my son on his 65 was up at that <laughs> that height on a carbureted 65 and he made it so you know wh yeah. why do i need more power yeah yeah well it's pretty awesome i mean everything from uh i'm just reading through some of the things hints and you know bulletproof or yeah bulletproof clutch cover and you know frame guards and radiator hose kit v force four raid you know reed valves 
uh, Trail Tech Hour Meter, the the Trail Tech Digital Fan, the Motos Pipe, the X Trib, tri, the X Trig Triple Clamps up on the front, um, and then obviously the shock, uh, the X Trig shock, and the shock adjuster, the sag adjuster on the back on that shock to make adjusting sag just so simple. Um, there's so many cool things that were done to this: the full KYB conversion, the carburetor conversion, uh, titanium foot pegs, and full you know wrap fork guards, and steering stem nuts, and axle blocks, and everything that happened. The eight cell battery, the dirt tricks. There's several different places on the bike where there's dirt tricks, sprockets, and you know washers, and you know brake rotors, and these types of things. The moose balls, which is something that both of us need to test eventually, yeah. is these moose balls in the tires. If for those for those of you that don't know, it's a newer product that's come out where you're putting actual individual uh, they're, they're not they're not actually cylinders no they're it, not they're, it's almost like you take a moose and you just you just cut it into it, like yep. 25 pieces yeah um and then you're sticking those individual pieces in there i've seen some videos on on that i think it might be kind of a pain to to like switch into a new tire because now you're dealing with all these different pieces yeah th- actually the install wasn't too bad i mean you have to lube up each individual ball which was kind of time consuming, but the actual install I would say is easier than a moose, you yeah. know, a full moose. That I think I've done. Th- my biggest problem with the mooses is how hard they are to do it. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I did, um, install on the, the wheels, double rim locks just as a safety and which made it harder. That makes it a little bit harder, but it wasn't terrible. I just wondered though on subsequent tire changes, cause that is probably going to be all nasty inside of there. I'd imagine that it's going to get all, dirty yeah inside there yeah. and now you're going to have a bunch Dirt of water gets you're in gonna, there you're going to have a bunch of nasty mud balls yeah and you'll, you'll have to clean off your balls and <laughs> relube them and put them back in clean and. your balls and relube i just i don't know uh, I, it, it may be it, it, the the cool thing about it is a, a lot of guys with mooses you know that want adjustability or to have a lower psi equivalent they drill them out they'll be drilling them out or cutting sections and this and that but then that affects the durability and longevity of the moose so they don't last as long cool thing with these is they're customizable so i think it comes with i don't want to say like 20 moose balls and if you put in all of them you have a Stiff, hot stiffer yes, stiffer higher psi equivalent you you know take some out you know say you say hey i want to lower the psi i don't you know that's kind of a pain it's not as easy as tubeless just letting some air out but at least it's possible right yeah so well i don't want to put you on the spot too much but have you thought about what your next project is going to be or you need to recover um for a little yeah bit? this was this was a big one <laughs> i mean i started this project i went and picked up that bike right after halloween so the start of november and i just barely finished it what couple weeks ago yeah so it was a good three month project yeah there was a lot to it so maybe take a little bit of time and in some ways it was easier than the 150 though it it had to be easier than the 150 project the 150 project took me almost a year like i said so much research yeah and documentation and documentation yeah there was a lot more which on this you didn't have to document as much that was fun but this was a lot more fun i didn't i just kept track of the parts and so you know we did a video kind of on a part breakdown but if people want to know what's involved in the carb conversion or what we did to this bike, you know, I gave Kyle a complete list with OEM part numbers and, um, you know, everything's listed there. So you could probably reach out to Kyle and he could uh, get you a list of some sort of what yeah. went into it. So yeah, I could, I could do that. So 
send me an email. It's Kyle at dirtbikechannel.com. How do people find out uh, more about what you're doing, Tyler? What's the best way to figure that out? Uh, really only Instagram. <laughs> That's either that or, you know, occasionally making the cameo on your YouTube channel or now the podcast, but um, just that Enduro builds. Uh, it's Enduro underscore builds. Yes. If you search Enduro builds, they'll pull it up, okay. but it is at Enduro underscore builds. Um, that's, I honestly just do it for fun. Um, I just love dirt bikes. I love building dirt bikes. I used to post a lot more riding content on that page. Um, it was called, it was called hard enduro life. Hard enduro life. And honestly, I, for lots of reasons, we ought to go into that. I just kind of got tired of doing riding content. You know, when I'm out riding, I just kind of want to ride and focus on that and not worry about, I mean, you know, all too well, I don't mind doing stuff with you, but, um, I don't know. I, there, there's several reasons. I kind of just went away. I, on the other hand, I don't mind making content and sharing, you know, stuff while I'm working in the shop or the builds I'm doing. And I like sharing, you know, if I find a new product or a way to solve a, a problem, I don't mind sharing that. And so that's primarily what I share on my uh, Instagram page now. Yeah. You end up taking a lot of heat when you start sharing writing stuff because and that, you have two camps out there. You have the one camp that is pissed off at you that you're posting a picture of that place uh, because they don't want anyone to know where it is. And then you have another camp that is pissed off because you're posting a picture of that place and you won't tell them where it is. And so you're damned if you do, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, when you start posting anything to do with writing yeah. comp, because you can't, you can't please everybody. Um, and I've, yeah, it's one of the reasons why most of the time I don't even look at YouTube, <laughs> YouTube comments yeah. uh, because there's just a lot of there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And so same thing with Instagram. Like I, most of the time I do this thing called post and ghost and I've had enough PTSD from social media um, that I just I, I don't. It's funny because people are like I make my living a big part of the way I make my living is off social media, but I really have a love hate relationship with it. And if I'm dead honest, it's a lo- it's more skewed over to the hate side of, of social media than it is the love side of social media. And, uh, but I, at the same time, I mean, I like there's most of my fan base, if you want to call it that or followers, most of them are really good. The problem that you have is that the people who hate you are usually the loudest ones. Yeah. And so there have even been times where over the years you've found someone that was just kind of an a-hole and you've noticed that they also follow me. And at times you've said like, Hey, I blocked this person. I suggest you do the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, because sometimes people just want to get in your business. Yeah. And, uh, but if you're not posting the writing content, you've, you've noticed that that has not been as much of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those issues that I was dealing with this kind of went away and now it's just focused on the builds. Um, it's been a lot easier. Yeah. Which I think is good. I think you, you're obviously passionate about it. And then your attention to detail slash OCD enables you to make these bikes that nobody, nobody else is going to find. And so if you do have the privilege of buying one of Tyler's used bikes, um, yeah, he rides them hard, but he also fixes everything on them. So they've been better maintained than any bike that you would find anywhere else. And uh, he'll tell you what's happened to it. And a lot of times too, he swaps plastic. So he'll get an extra set of plastic right off the bat, beat those plastics up. And then the bike is completely solid, all the, all the major components. And then he'll go ahead a lot of times and put the original plastics back on. And you're getting this amazing bike that is most in many ways better than new. The only 
thing is it'll probably have I mean, I, I ride my hours. bikes hard and you know but I, you're maintaining it but i if i break something i replace it and i maintain it you know and i even tell people that come buy my bikes i don't buy used bikes very much and but if i were to buy one i would buy one for me <laughs> And you like even our, our our buddy Garrett like what was that was your twenty twenty three hundred yeah, he CW he bought it after you'd put like pushing two hundred hours on it and he's still riding it do you want to know something interesting I was just down there riding with him and he has now over four hundred hours on that bike <laughs> and I asked him what problems have you had you know this is a TPI that's point, supposed to be this, you know problems. supposed to have all these problems you know that we talked about he hasn't had one issue. So I rode the crap out of it. He's now riding the crap out of it. He's only done preventative maintenance. You know, he's done top ends. He did finally replace the oil pump just as a preventative measure. And he replaced the uh, uh, crankcase pressure sensor, not because he had to, but just preventative. preventative. And he's over 400 hours. So, I mean... That I mean, that tells you right there that they're pretty solid. Remember when Rich Larson was telling us that uh, he, if you he went, don't follow Rich, it's went, at Rich Five Eleven on Instagram, right? Yeah. How many hours did he do on his Husky? I don't know. Like three hundred hours. I remember is he did over two hundred fifty hours on the stock oil pump. I thought he was pushing three hundred hours, yeah. and, he, and then he just did a top end and replaced the oil pump. But I'm just like everyone's going like you got to replace that every fifty sixty hours. No, you don't. Yeah. See, the thing is, is on the internet, you're not going to hear these stories yeah. you're, you're going to hear the negative and yeah. so i have people you know reaching out to me all the time saying i heard this and i heard this and i said you know what it's a legitimate issue probably for that person take it with a grain of salt it's not as big as you think you know this is my experience i've had five tpis now one tbi zero issues you've had i don't know 30 yeah the only difference is i don't put a lot of hours on them so that is one knock on me and i will say that straight off the out of the yeah, gate is yes i've had 20 25 i don't even know but i and so and some of them i've only put between three and ten hours on but it all adds but up i have put over 200 hours on some and over 100 on most and then we have other friends and people we know that are doing over 400 hours and, you know, and none, none of the people, that's what I keep telling people is none of the people inside of our circle of influence, which is not super tight, but we're talking thousands of hours. I am totally confident. You start thinking about some of the Idaho boys that we ride with and different people. And I'm sitting there going, I am confident to say that we just in maybe a six or eight guys that I can think of off the top of my head. I would say it's no less than 4,000 motor hours since TPI became a thing. And I don't know of a single issue other than like I had an, I had a fuse go out, you know what I mean? So it, it's tough, but thanks for coming over. This is super fun. Um, this iron horse is incredible. You did an amazing job on that. And um, if you want to get, if you still don't have your entries to this, you've got plenty of time till the end of the month. This thing goes until March 31st, 2023. Uh, you can go to my website, dirtbikechannel.com. That's the best place to go get entered um, because there's a couple ways you can get entered over there. You can buy like any of the products that I have tie downs or hats or shirts or whatever. Or if you want to use my links to Rocky mountain ATV, there's a shop Rocky mountain ATV link right there on my website that puts a little tracking cookie in your browser. Um, and then you just buy anything that they sell, anything that Rocky mountain ATV sells two benefits from that. Number one, you're going to get free entries into the sweepstakes with every order you place with them. You get three free entries and it also gives me a kickback that helps to fund this stuff. One of the reasons I love that is it doesn't cost you anything. 
doesn't cost you anything. You've already decided you're going to buy that helmet or those tires or those or that gear. Um, and Rocky Mountain ITV will pay me a slight you know commission on that. So please use those links. It helps to keep these things alive. All the content um, is is funded by either the sweepstakes or YouTube ad revenue, which is hardly anything, or you know the Rocky Mountain ATV um, affiliate link. So please go ahead and continue to do that. Um, other things, if you want to get involved with my text message list, you can. If you've never signed up for my for text messages, you can do that over on my website. It's right under the contact form. So at dirtbikechannel.com, you've got a contact link. And one of the menus under there is SMS and email updates. That will give you free entries to the sweepstakes if it's your first time and you've, and you've never done it before. So thanks for coming over, Tyler. That was super awesome. And uh, we got to go ride yeah, soon. Thanks for having we got to have some better weather, though. This yeah. winter this well, winter's been rough. Terrible. Rough. But I think we're just about coming out of it. So thanks so much, everybody. And uh, we'll leave a single track. Thanks. Thanks.